COVID vaccinations for no longer neutral. Black Lives Matter, whether it's a hash. Can't take it no longer. It's minority children that are suffering the most. Begin to have real conversations. No, no longer, longer neutral. neutral. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to No Longer Neutral. Please don't forget to follow, subscribe, and rate our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at No Longer Neutral. I'm Dr. A.D. And I'm Dr. Sharice Roper. And I'm Dr. Michael Haygood. Welcome, y'all. What are we talking about today, you guys? Hmm. Well, I noticed that it's three, two of us. We belong to a Divine Nine organization, for those of you who know. Um, I'm a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, and so is Dr. Roper, Sharice Roper. Yes, And yes. Michael, we've had these conversations before. He opted out, right? And so tell me more about that. Well, I, you know, I came up during the years of um, remembering that frats were just a mainstay at colleges. When you were going to college, I think as a black man, I just thought, of course, I was going to join a frat. But also being gay, I knew that that was, at that time, something that wasn't um, talked about. Mm -hmm. Don't know necessarily that they frowned on it or they said, no, you can't come in and join. But it wasn't welcoming mm -hmm. to, um, to our people. So for that reason, I just never joined. And I remember folks like, hey, Kev, Kevin Ross, you know, my friend that's a judge now, he was in a frat. And I liked the way he would talk about it. I think he was a Sigma. I had a good friend named Charles Swan. He's um, no longer with us, but he was an alpha. He was one of my best friends. And I remember the brotherhood that they mm -hmm. talked about mm -hmm. and gaining from that. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was missing something. So I always felt like, you know, and I'm big on being a part of a team, which you shared last time, Sharice, with us about being a part of a team. I like the military for that reason, for example. And, sure. I, you know, I like uh, being in sports for that reason. So I feel like I kind of missed out. But at the same time, I also feel like that may have been a road that I just shouldn't have traveled at the time that I was alive on the planet. Because at that time, it would have been a conflict and it would have been possibly a struggle and a fight, to be honest, with whoever was in the fraternity that decided they didn't like gay folks. There would have been a ruckus, there would have been a problem, and there would have been, you know, a major storm, you know, brewing. And so I don't know where the, you know, the frats and sororities are at now with sexuality and being welcoming to all different diverse uh, groups of people, but I'd have to hear that from you guys. Well, I know there, you know, for, for my organization, there are, you know, anti-discriminatory policies. So I'm wondering, is it one of those um, cultural models where you feel it, it's not spoken, or were you ever told the fraternities did not accept? I was never, ever, ever told that, um, that, gay people were not welcome in fraternities or, or sororities. Okay. It's always been sort of uh, a rumored fact, okay. sort of in the streets of common knowledge that you just wouldn't join because I've never seen any expression of a gay person at that time talking about it. And it's sort of, to be honest, it's weird that you put it that way, Ayana, because not weird, actually tremendous, because you just sort of encompassed how most gay people feel usually. That even though it's not spoken about, you feel it in the air, that uncomfortability mm -hmm. in some settings. Mm -hmm. You just feel like even though it's not talked about, you're not asked about it, you're not 
welcomed about it, but you feel it in the air. Like, I wonder what this person would think of me or these people or this group or this organization. Because just like racism, it's, it, it can be very systemic and very systematic in the way that the oppression happens. So I believe that it necessarily was probably not talked about, but I'm pretty sure that it was frowned about. Well, and that's that's my assumption. Gay and lesbian, you know, um, human beings in sororities and fraternities. Now that I know, well, yeah, that I know, but I I think they've been in for years though. They pledged years ago, and they probably weren't out though. Maybe you know what I mean. It's sort of like the planet has happened. Like you know how mm-hmm. things happen. We talked about this last last session about progression and how things change over time. And I think that, you know, just as the world has become much more welcoming mm-hmm. to gay and lesbian and um, LGBTQAA, I think it is now, um, folks, that it feels like now, you know, yes, we're playing catch up with the rest of the planet. And I think the sororities and the fraternities, you know, are pretty much on the same countenance as the rest of the world, and that is playing catch-up. But I will say, as I've said before, and this is probably the one fact that I'm not the most proud of, is that we probably have gotten the most shit from African-American people. Yeah, and that's surprising, that. but I, I mean, yeah. it's just the truth. And I think it has an element of church involved in it. Oh, okay. I think that's where it stems from. I think oh, people okay. are really rooted in, and in the past, we're really rooted in the literal context of the Bible mm-hmm. and certain parts of it. Because, of course, they don't want to turn the page and see that they're not supposed to be wearing cloth or cotton or, or, or fornication or adult, uh, you know, any of that stuff. You know, we can go on and on with how many things that are in the Bible that are laws. Um, so people weren't able to see past that. But now I think that what's happening now is people are able to see religion, I think, for what it is. And that is that it's inspiring and it's, um, it's also very um, has wonderful laws and policies and um, a way in which you live. A, a guide map for you to mm-hmm. kind of live your life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it does express um, probably, you know, realities of the time that it was written in mm-hmm. and did not take into account the way in which human beings would evolve and start to see each, each other as, you know, this is what you like and this is what you were born to like. And so I'm just going to accept it because I have nothing to do with the way in which you were born. Mm-hmm. It's probably the best way I can express it. So, you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful way of um, looking at, I think, sexuality when you start to look at the same way we do as race. Not that it is the same because it's not, but we often look at race in a way that says how many companies and how many obstacles and how many places did you have to be let in? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just because of your race as opposed to just coming in as a human being. It's pretty true similarly with sexuality once known. Once the difference know. is you can certainly be in that hidden space. Right. And in that hidden space, most people say that racism, you know, I hate to weigh oppressions, but most people sort of do. And they say that it should not be compared. The way that I compare it is it's been much harder for me to be gay than it has been to be black, to be honest. For me. From within, for me, because within, I don't like hiding. That within for me, our community, yes, our it, black community? Yes, wow. because internally, uh-huh. I really didn't get a whole lot of fuss because... Um, I think the folks that got a lot of um, oppressive, discriminatory practices individually as well as uh, collectively usually stem from guys who or women who were far on the extreme of the way in which they looked physically. So in other words, the sissified guy or the very butch girl 
um, typically are the ones in the past that got noticed quickly and were the ones that got the oranges and, and everything thrown at them, you know, and the curse words and everything else. So me playing sports and doing all the things I did, yeah. I was able to hide. Yeah. You know, I was able to sort of, you know. Look, quote, unquote, like a normal guy. As much as possible. And certainly yeah. some folks knew anyway. But I, that space for me is much more oppressive than actually the other. Because my best friend in life who's no longer with us, Mr. Tracy Kennedy, who I love and adore, God rest in peace, mm-hmm. um, he was very outwardly feminine. So I remember us going to the store and him being talked about, but me not. And me feeling like he got a fight in him, though. That fight is what was, that is a, um, 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 oh, shoot. That is a direct result of him being pushed around as opposed to me being ignored for it and then having a harder time of coming out because they won't even believe me or they haven't had a notion yet. You know what I mean? So it depends on who you are, but Mm -hmm. I think sororities and fraternities have come a long way Mm -hmm. and my hope is that they will continue to push forward with understanding, you know, that people are people. Okay. Has your daughter ever showed interest in joining? Oh, absolutely. But, um, you know, it's just not, it's her experience is not the same because there was no problem with, you know, um, noticing or, or seeing that there are those in our sorority that definitely are, you know, lesbian, gay. And so, you know, the... Maybe the years, right? There's a huge difference Just, between us. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. definitely. Um, but, you know, I'm sure it's still challenges in other ways. Um, and I I'll share this real fast. I was, I was really quiet because I was just taking it all in. I find it interesting that you um, said that you felt more um, oppressed, so to speak, for, for the gay portion of poor opposed to being black yeah because i the, the the messages i got early was that i was sick sickness is i think worse than you know um somehow not being sick i never was told that for being black being biracial being of color was anything that i was going to be sick and i needed to be treated for mm-hmm. i was literally told that you know early on that you're gonna have to go see a psychiatrist you're going to need a psychologist. None of those things we do with black folks just for being black. Although it would probably help for, because of the trauma that we go through as black folks. So that's the comparison for me. But I know the majority of my friends who are black and who are gay would directly say the opposite. They would say that they've had more trauma from being black than they would be saying, you know, it depends on the person right, and the walk right. and who they are. Right. Um, and it's interesting, I think it was interesting because what immediately came to me is the conversation we had a few weeks or so ago around privilege and just thinking about, you know, the fact that, you know, our listeners, they hear us, but they don't see us. Correct. Mm-hmm. You know, and so just the idea that, you know, you are biracial and I wonder if that played a huge part in terms of, you know, the messages you would have received as a black man. So well, to I mean, speak. you can take it even further than that. I mean, you can even look at a light skinned man who has two parents who are black. It will be pretty, pretty much a similar thing. I think that what fosters, unfortunately, racism the most is the, probably the, the folks who probably got it the worst and who were ostracized the most had probably dark skin. 
You know, so I don't think it's so much the biracialness as it is the color of Colorism. the skin. Mm. Colorism mm-hmm. has really played a fact in mm-hmm. or, or has played a part in how we either get really discriminated against mm-hmm. or or not. You know, And I would say, just to push, you know, you are thinking a little bit more, I would say because, you know, you think about it, you're a, a black little or black young man with a white mother walking with you. Yes. There's a different level of privilege with that. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So yeah. even oh, absolutely. with the color, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's just, you know, this conversation Layers could on. go just, you know, really far. And it's stuff. a good one, but though. But just very interesting um, to to hear that, that stand. Um so yeah, and just know that there are still opportunities if you want to become. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the opportunity, and I'm really, and I'm really, and I'm really. Which fraternity? Right, that is. That's the a question. question. Which one? Would, which were you? Looking? I think you know. Um, if I had to choose, I definitely no shade, but I definitely would not choose Omega. I don't fit the personality of Omegas. They're extremely aggressive. Um, I'll just say that. <laughs> um, I probably would probably choose Sigma. Okay. To be quite honest, I don't think I would choose Alpha. I don't think I would choose Kappa. Kappa's supposedly a pretty voice, from what I understand. My son's a Kappa. So. All right, no Kappas. <laughs> um, but I am really proud of my daughter who joined um, and followed in both of your footsteps, and she's right. Delta president. Of course. Um, and at, also at someone who's come Grambling, right? Um, yes, at Grambling, Grambling, Grambling uh-huh. University. Yes, shout out to all the black colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I know that, you know, for her, um, she faced some obstacles. But like you said, I think the world is changing and being able to accept everyone. So I, I applaud fraternities and sororities for what they do, because even though we've talked a lot about the discriminatory practices, either yes or no, based on whether, uh, whether you went to college or not, I think the bigger picture is what they afford and what they give to the folks that are involved as participants. And you two can share that. I mean, guess mm-hmm. on gain. I can only imagine how much you've gained from being in the sororities. You know, yes, and I think yes. the same is true for the frats. The thing I think I most appreciate um, being a part of the wonderful, illustrious sorority that I belong to is the community activism, mm-hmm. the social um, action work that we do. We work also with you know students. We have programs to uplift, and you know, there's just a lot mm-hmm. um, that supports us as a whole mm-hmm. and it's you know we still are struggling in in this country you know around providing access recognition notoriety all, abs- that. all of those things so can um, I ask you a question both of you yes so what is there a conflict around the subject of hazing anymore well, our organization we are not hazing organization that's right that's what is on the literature? Is that something that is written, or is that what you're attesting to? We practice a non And putting your hand on the Bible with. We practice, we practice a non Absolutely, we practice non-hazing. We practice non-hazing. Can't speak for other organizations, but I'm sure they or practice they, they practice non-hazing, I'm sure. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. But and as sorority members, mm-hmm. what is your feelings about hazing? What are your feelings? I mean, because I know that you came through hazing, obviously, when you were. Not necessarily, no. No, no we had a, I had a very a wonderful pledge period. Wow. So, they threw you a party and everything? We had a wonderful pledge period. You didn't have period. to wake up at 12 in the middle of the morning? Yeah, I had a wonderful pledge period. Very Same um, here, same but, here. And if I woke up early, it's because I chose to wake up I early. I chose to wake up early. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
So, but you know, but um, so there is no hazing out in there. <laughs> There's no hazing. <laughs> okay. There isn't any hazing that I'm aware of, and um, you know, I think that in any organization, you may have some people who interpret policy how they choose to, or I um, you know, just kind of you know have their own agendas. That's yeah. human nature. That's yes. human beings. Um, when, when sometimes when we get titles or a, a role or a position of authority. We may use the opportunity to, you know, lash out or, um, you know, use our own voids in life to pursue fulfillment in, in roles that we may be gifted, uh, given. given. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, you have to be mindful of that in, with, any, with any organization. True. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. True. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So, um, Michael... I was talking to our producer, oh. and he says, listen, we've been doing this podcast um, for some weeks now, a few months, and the listeners, they don't know who we are. So today, I think we're going to discuss who we are, and hey. how do we get in this space, and how we know one another. And so for those of you who do not know us intimately, both Dr. Haygood and Dr. Roper were my su- supervisors at one point in time. In my career, and so uh, you know, in, in any type of relationships, some are stronger than others, and we, you know, built strong relationships, although we were in a inferior, superior role. And we decided to have this podcast, and we could just really discuss how we feel. We have these nice fireside chats all the time, and all said, time. "Hey, let's let's go <laughs> let's go public with it. You know, let's go share. We have a desire right. to share." Uh, with our listeners. So uh, I've been working with uh, Dr. Haygood for over 20 years. Over. Over 20 years. And I remember my first principal's meeting when I came. (laughs) (laughs) My first principal's meeting. I was sharp. I had on a red suit, of course. And, uh, you know, you kind of checked me out. You looked me up and down. And then, you know, later on, the next time you said, you know, you you look really nice. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jim. <laughs> it was an initial attraction to your energy. Yeah, yeah, it really was. It really was. You saw who it I was, was automatic. And, and so it was like he. Um, Much like it was with you. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was natural. It was. Absolutely. Very it was. natural. It was very, very natural. And I thank you for that because, you know, anytime you are moving in a space where you're the newbie, you know, talking about hazing. Let's right. talk about real right. hazing. Let's talk about getting that a new company job, place a that new doesn't want right. And you know, you're walking into a space where people sat for over twenty some odd years. That's you're my hot sauce. Hazing. Don't put your hot sauce in my cupboard. Yeah, yeah that kind of thing. <laughs> 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 so hazing and education. Let's right. Talk about that. Right. You know. So um, I thank you if I haven't said it. Oh, and with Dr. Roper, how this happened? Thank, thank you, Michael. I was having a most significant of a challenging time, and my other. Um, area that I worked, and that was time for me to move in a different direction. And so Dr. Roper took a risk, because I don't know what she heard about me. You know, what, was I rebel, or was I hard to get along with, or hard to work with? I don't know. And But she took the risk of um, allowing me to come work with her group. Michael She's a Delta. There's nothing that I figured <laughs> she could do wrong. <laughs> so I was like, let's do this, girl. Okay. <laughs> It was really good. It, it, all things happen um, how it's supposed to happen. Absolutely. And even my career in early ed, I was a teacher at High Park Elementary School, and I wanted the younger grades. And at that time, the matrix, you know, we know that matrix, those of you who 
teaching a K through 12 world world specifically in our district where there's union, you know, protocols, I would never be able to get the K class because, you know, some of the more mature teachers who are on their way out, they sat down in those kindergarten classes. So, but my passion was really to work with smaller, younger children. And I was young, I was married, newlywed, and I was pregnant with my son, and I was taking all these child development classes. So I was so in love with the pre the zero through eight years that I really decided to leave the K through twelve, K through five setting, and move to early ed. And that's how I started my career in early ed. Wow, amazing! Yeah. So tell me what you see as the difference between. I mean, I know um, some of your thoughts about um, early childhood and, you know, foundation and all of that. But what do you see as the premier difference between early education and, like, elementary? So I see it as prevention. If you're really, if you're really present, first of all, you know, teaching children from zero to eight how important it is to be present. And you have to know what you're doing because you're molding and shaping a child's perception of a teacher, of a learning environment, and their relationship to a school setting. So, it, it, you know, it's so important for you to make sure that you're really showing that child that this is a place and a space that you will be for the next 18 years, yes. and you should love it. You Some days you're not going to want to be here, just right. like I don't, but... At the, at the end of the day, a school setting is a place where you you belong here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show you that I can make you safe as that educator. Versus when I was in the kinder, in the fourth and fifth grade combination, which I love teaching in California, I love teaching social studies, but it was almost, I don't know what their ex, the children's experiences before I, they, they got to me by fourth and fifth grade, because you could tell those who resented teachers already, those who felt like they didn't belong already in a school setting. And, and it was almost a little kind of late for them to gain some of their early developmental skills that they should have gotten um, prior to reaching the fourth and the fifth grade. Got so, it. Got it. Kind of like get, being in that jump start. Right, right, right. I have a question for you. And it's, um, it's based on how I know you. You have a lot of, I think, what I call guiding principles for life that you live on. We'll be somewhere, and you'll just mention it. Well, you know, I do this as a practice, or I do this as a, and I just find that really, like, I'm envious, and I admire it, Mm -hmm. because I really want to take on more practices that benefit me. Mm -hmm. What would you say are your two or three, like, top practices for living or succeeding within the educational profession? Uh, One is setting my true intentions. You know, why am I doing this work? Um, And do I still want to do it? So I always have to go with them because I feel like I'm not doing a greater good if I don't have the passion any longer. So I'm always asking myself, okay, what's your intentions? Why are you doing this? What are you intending to do? Um, If I'm helping someone, what are your intentions with this? If I need to discipline someone, you know, before I just do their textbook discipline, what are, my, what are my intentions? Is this is it, will this teacher receive this, or should I take a different route? You know, so I think that my guiding principle for my work, and I try to do it in my personal life, is set an intention. Um, also, I stay in my lane. Mm. I know that there are some things that you're able to do, like you're really good at, 
um, as a principal. Uh-huh. Ronnie said things that you're really good at, Dr. Roper, that I know that's not my, you know, no matter what I see um, Kareem do, I would never be able to do a sky hook. I'm five feet. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not seven foot. I can't do a sky hook. I, I don't play basketball well. Right. I admire that skill, but I know what my lane is. And I know my strength. I know where I know where I'm not in my weaknesses, mm-hmm. and I know how to make them work together for me. So I know I know how to stay in my lane. I know how to set my intentions. And the third thing that I do that I try my best to remember is that we're servicing human beings, not students, not teachers, mm. but actual human beings. Huge. And they come with life. Everyone comes with a life, mm. a story. And so I'm always welcome, open to hear it, hear their story, so I can know how to, I can work with them. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's why she's Dr. AD, y'all. That's <laughs> right. why. Right. right. That was beautiful. I have one last question. And it's personal. Okay. And I'm going there. What do you, whether you have that person or not, I'm trying to get in your business, but what do you see, what do you hope to gain in a partner, a life partner. Acceptance. Mm. Because I'm the oldest grandchild on my on my mother's side, um, and I'm an only child. So I've had a lot of responsibility at, a, at an early age. I'm, um, you know, I've had leadership roles since, since I was 28, 28. I was a principal. So sometimes when you're in leadership roles and you're in a place where people see or think, oh, she has it so together. She's able to manage life, manage career, manage being a mom. You know, oftentimes you are judged that you cannot make mistakes or that, you know, I've had a partner one time. I dated someone for some time, and he um, really lashed out a lot about our breakdown of communication. And he would say, you're so well-educated, you're a principal, you should be able to do this and this and that. Well, I'm learning your love language. I'm still learning my own love language, how I need to communicate, how I feel and express myself. So oftentimes I feel like I'm not accepted for my flaws, but I'm always embraced for my um, successes, you know? Got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. And that can be hard. Um, I think women in high positions often have that as a challenge. Um, So my question to you would be, as a woman in a high position, how do you really manage, you know, those, not really naysayers, but haters, Mm -hmm. right? How do you manage the, you know, because, you know, as you get older, you recognize it. The Mm -hmm. hate is real. The hate is real. It this took this took time, you know. Uh, this takes a a life journey for me to deal with that because sometimes you're missing where it's coming from. You know, you think it's coming from the obvious mm. folks, and you're sometimes missing that blind spot. Mm. You know, you may get mm. gut punched by someone you least expect. Um, again, setting my intentions, you know, for myself, and learning to create boundaries that I don't even have to Im- implicit bind the boundaries where I don't have to even tell you what the, your your boundary is I don't have to have a long dissertation with you a, co- a conversation I'll just move accordingly mm-hmm. and either you catch you catch your space or you're not you won't 
right. I have friends who expect have expectations or tell me the kind of friend that they want for me to be to them that mm. I didn't agree to be. Mm. And mm. so I'm not going to have this long dialogue about what kind of friend I choose to be to you. I'll just show you the friendship that I'm offering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's it. So how I deal with haters, I, I just really move with my own boundaries. And Love they're it. there. I know that they're there. But I, I see you and I just set my boundaries. Well, and then the last thing I think I want you to share is, you know, we have hopefully, you know, many diverse learners mm-hmm. as listeners um, to this podcast. What would be the one, because we've been talking a lot about mental health lately, and mm-hmm. every time I speak and think of you, I do think of mental health, spiritual wellness, because I know that's something you seek and talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest is the one practice that we haven't heard yet that you foster for your life that would help a listener today? Um, the, the knowing when to detach. You know, you mm. have to know when to unplug. Yeah. You have to know when it's time for you to shut down and be okay with not responding. And how often mm. does that happen for you? Every day. Mm. I have a time of every day, mm. and it could be a 20-minute period. It could be my drive home where I unplug and detach. You know, on my, I take a bath, you know, I water my grass. That's one of my favorite things to do is water gra- my grass. Uh-huh. Nice. And to um, sit out and drink my morning cup of uh, tea. That's my time every morning, each morning. And uh, that's when I'm really listening to what, how I want to move throughout the day. And for the listeners, I'm sitting here and I'm just, I'm hoping you can feel who this person is because she is absolutely beautiful inside and out and everything that she's speaking is so true. Sharice and I have come to adore and love Ayana. Thank you. And I'm so thankful that I have you in my life. So, that's, that's my little work, work journey. You know, it's been phenomenal. It's been phenomenal. It's been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, take us out now. Oh, well, um, I I think, you know, I always try to leave a quote um, that someone I, that inspires me, you know, um, will kind of match what our topic is. Oh, today. good. So I'll say for me, my quote, something that I tell myself every day is that there is something inside of me that will face and that can handle any situation that comes forth today. And I say that each morning. Ashe. Mm. <laughs> I like that. Anything and everything that is coming my way, anything, I can handle everything. because there's something in me. In me. Wow. Don't I, make me go to church up in powerful. here. That was really powerful. Very powerful. That's my I mantra. receive all of that. Mm-hmm. I receive all of that. That was amazing. All right. So don't forget to follow, subscribe, rate wherever you listen to podcasts. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at No Longer Neutral. See you guys later. Have a good week. We're out.